Welcome to Asia Edit et al, the podcast that brings you research publishing tips direct from industry experts. I'm your host, Trevor Lane. Hello, joining me on this podcast is Elodie Chabrol, International Director of Pint of Science, which is a non-profit group that introduces local scientists to the public to improve public understanding of science and public engagement with science, whether it's in a cafe or bar or pub. The group is based in the UK, but organizes an annual global event called the Pint of Science Global Science Festival. So let's say hi to our guest, Elodie Chevrol. Hello, Elodie, and a warm welcome to the podcast. Hello. Now, can you begin by telling us when and how Pint of Science started and what are its aims? So it started in 2013. So actually this year in 22, it's going to be the 10th Pint of Science. So we're quite happy with that. Mm. So it started, the first edition was in 2013. And when we started organizing it, what we wanted was really share the science with normal people, you know, the general public. The idea was the two founders realized when they had some members of the public visiting their lab that actually people are really interested in science. It's just that sometimes it's hard to get. So the idea was not new, you know, organizing science in pubs, it probably exists since cafes are there. You know, there's a very old cafe in Paris that organized philosophical meetings since forever. Mm. So it's not a new idea, but what is new is that we do it as a festival, really like a music festival, Lots of scenes at the same time. You have to pick a few of them. It's during three days, several places at the same time. Uh, you have to pick the subject you want to see. And so this is how it works in May. Several cities in UK. So it started in UK in 2013. Only UK and then it started evolving. I started creating the French branch for uh, 2014. And now we're in nearly 30 countries. So lots of cities as well. Great. The aims are several, actually. So it started as we wanted the public to know about science, but it's also we want them to meet scientists because there are so many cliches around scientists. You know, when you talk to people that are not in science and you ask them, you know, how do you picture a scientist in your mind? Usually it's someone, it's a male around 60 with gray hair, a lab coat and glasses. This is a cliche that we see quite often. I'm an ex-researcher and when I was a researcher, everyone was telling me, you don't look like a researcher. And, you know, we want people to see all the types of scientists that are in the lab, to see all the personalities that are amazing. Uh, we want them, obviously, to, to discover the science. And we also want to empower scientists to do science communication and our volunteers around the world to organize events because we don't take professionals we organize it with volunteers that gain skills in organization and everything. I see. Now, how did you yourself get involved with Pint of Science? Uh, it's a funny story. So, yeah, I was a researcher and actually on Valentine's Day 2013, <laughs> I got an email from Pint of Science saying they were looking for volunteers to help organize an evening on brain. I was a neuroscience researcher, so I was super interested. I called them directly 
And it's lucky for me, but the person organizing the whole UCL, so University College London, kind of science, just decided to quit because it was the very beginning and they didn't realize how much work it would be. So I called to organize normally just one event and I ended up being the coordinator of UCL, so dealing with three different teams that would organize the events and also being in the core team that would create the festival. So I said yes. They explained to me what needed to be done. I said yes to everything and I joined Point of Science and I loved it because I think I've wanted to be a teacher my whole life and then I did research and I fell in love with, with research and then science communication for me it's really basically the two parts of myself it's a bit like teaching science to people but also in a fun way and uh, making sure science is spread around and not just in the labs so this is how I got involved with Spine of Science and actually I stayed in the lab for more years where I dealt with Spine of Science France I was organizing it and I was researcher at the same time and it's only in 2017 that I left research to be a science communicator and so I'm doing kind of science but I have other missions on the side as well. Next question what do you do now what's your regular day job? So my day job so I'm a science consultant science communication consultant or science communicator I do lots of different things so my day job is part-time kind of science so I organize international organization is basically selecting new countries Mm -hmm. and then helping them to start. So it could be from how to do social media, how to recruit people, how to do the websites, how to pick the subjects, then how to properly organize the whole thing in lots of different places. I select them as well. So every year my strategy is not to go for like big countries it's really try to have a balance of countries in europe for example and countries somewhere else i'm not really uh, going to just very developed countries or countries in europe i love to have places a bit everywhere around the world and also i select depending on the motivation of the people you know some some people email me and they tell me i want to start kind of sense because i want a big network I'm sorry, it's not going to work because it's so much work. You need to have passion and you need to want to spread science in your country. So yeah, this is the point of science, day job. And I also do lots of things. I would say the two main things I do, one is training for scientists. Uh I actually did more than 200 hours of training last year or 2021. Most of it is science communication training. So helping scientists, usually PhD students, to talk about their research to any kind of public. The PhD students, are you helping them because they want to to talk to the public or is it helping them for their final year Viber interview? So I have two types of training. I have some actually that is to get ready for the defense, which is public in France. And most of my training, it's actually to do science communication. So I help them present the subject in a good way. Science communication is getting bigger and bigger. And some grants are actually now asking some scientists to do science communication. So programs are trying to align as well, because if you ask you know, we are giving you money, but you need to do science communication. But then there is no training, there is no support whatsoever. It's really difficult. So the PhD programs, they realize that now and they start having training just 
for the PhD students to be sure they can talk about their research. We have that very big competition in France as well that is called uh, My Thesis in 180 Seconds, oh. where you have to present your PhD in three minutes. Mm. Yeah, there's a similar thing in different countries, like the three-minute thesis. Exactly, exactly. And it works really well. So I'm doing some trainings for that as well. Mm. So yeah, it's mostly trainings, podcasts and project management and pint of science. Okay. Now, when is the next Pint of Science Global Festival? Is it going to go on this year because of COVID? And in what, what countries is it in? So let's cross our fingers, our toes, everything we can. Normally, it should be live. Uh, it should be back to in-person again. It's from the 9th to the 11th of May. So it's okay. uh, during three days, usually from, it's always Monday from, uh, from Monday to Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So it's 9th to 11th May this time. Mm -hmm. Normally, we should go back to bars. We're hoping Omicron is not going to do something awful to us, mm -hmm. but it should be fine. We are obviously very careful. We're trying to not have um, as many people as we would have normally. Uh, make sure we respect all the rules. So we're hoping to go back to the bars because we've done that online for the past two years. Oh. It was quite an adventure. Does it work okay? It worked okay. We learned how to do that. It was nice to do that instead of doing nothing. And actually, I was super proud of everyone doing a pint of science last year because in 2021, we had 25 countries doing it online the same three nights. It was amazing. It felt really good. Everyone at the same time having a real festival. It's just that Pint of Science, it's really about meeting scientists and being in an atmosphere where you feel like you can ask as many questions as you want. You know, it's cozy, it's relaxing. And online, it doesn't have the same, you know, power. So it was nice to do it online, but I really can't yeah. wait to go back to, to bars. And it should be going okay. I hope so. Let's see how the world's going the next few months. <laughs> So was the public invited as well last year when it was online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on either Zoom or most of the countries did YouTube. Mm. So it was very open. It was really for the public. We tried, you know, to have it as normal as possible. Mm. So trying to have YouTube, trying to discuss with the chat as well in YouTube. People could ask questions, but it's not the same yeah. than being in the same room, you know, with an atmosphere and relaxing. Yeah. Just being in a cafe feels like it's not a conference. And I think people got a bit fed up as well of the online things. Of course, yes. How many countries are participating this year? Around 25. And what is the public's reaction? So usually they love it. They really enjoy spending time with the scientists in a way that most of them never have done. It really feels closer and more like you're having a drink with the scientists. So some are really surprised as well. Some don't want to leave because they're asking so many questions to the scientists. It's funny, actually, the first edition in Paris, I had a scientist, people stayed with him an hour and a half to ask questions. So everyone stayed really late asking questions. And it was good because the questions were not just about the science. It was about his job as an astrophysicist working on the cosmos in Paris. So obviously they were like, how is your typical day? How do you work? Sometimes very personal questions and he enjoyed answering them. That's interesting. You said the public stay behind and ask questions. So how long is the actual presentation, the formal bit meant to be? So we're trying to have it short. So around 20 to 30 minutes, not longer than that. 20 oh. usually is good. 
And we want to have this presentation to spark the conversation. I always tell the scientists as well to bring something from the lab. So it could be a natural thing. You know, one day you had a PhD student that was dressed in her overalls and everything that she wears in the lab to do mm. the cell culture. And she was just mm. showing them how she had to dress every day to enter the cell culture mm. room. And it was quite nice because it was really like bringing mm. the lab to them. If they cannot bring the actual things, it's good to have pictures. So for example, one of our speakers, she took a picture of her microscope, which is it's basically a whole room. You know, it's a huge microscope, very expensive. And mm -hmm. she showed that to the public and they were shocked because in everyone's mind, you know, a microscope is just like a tiny thing. Mm -hmm. And she showed the huge microscope mm -hmm. and everyone was like, wow, this is so big. It was nice to not just talk about the science, but talk to them how science is made, how they work. Mm -hmm. And then you said at the end, they asked questions also about the daily life. Exactly. So usually it's 20 to 30 minutes presentation, but there is an open question time at the end. Um, so usually we have two different parts. We have a first part presentation and question, then a break with a game or something fun. Usually oh. it can be a pub quiz uh, on science with questions not too serious. Mm. And then at the end, we have an open question. So if we have the two speakers that are still there, we could actually spend like as much time as the public wants. And when it's over, usually we try to keep our scientists for a last drink. People come to them to discuss, you know, if they didn't want to ask questions in the room. But it's, it's fun because mm. I never had a problem with questions. You always have questions from the public and it's, it's great. Mm. Now I have an important question. Is it free for the researchers to take part and for the public to take part? And if it's in a cafe or pub, do they have to keep buying drinks? So it's free for the researchers. Depending on the countries, for example, in France, it's two euros. So it's a very small price because we're a non-profit and we're spending some money. So we're trying to make sure we can actually cover everything. And also mm. because when people pay, they actually come. And when you organize a free event, it's really hard to know if people are going to come. So in some countries, it's free. In some others, it's a few euros, basically. It's never going to be like 15 euro tickets because the idea is not to make money out of it. It's just to make sure we're going to survive with the money we have. And for the scientists, it's free and they don't have to buy drinks, but usually they do. How does the venue deal with it? Yeah, that's why it's Monday to Wednesday because the first year it was Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And it was quite difficult to have the pubs saying yes for us to be there on Thursday. Lots of people didn't come as well because they went out with friends. And usually Monday to Wednesday, the pubs or the bars and the cafes are quite empty. Uh. In big cities, Pint of Science is usually the assurance of having the room full. So for them, it's always better to have the full room and to be sure it's going to work on days that would be very empty. So usually they understand. Some love them and email us to say, I want to participate. Um, so usually this is how it works. Oh, I see. And then what does Pint of Science do for the rest of the year? So... It, it's fun because people think it doesn't take long to organize, but actually it takes a whole year to organize the festivals. Oh. So definitely me and the UK founder as well, we're spending a lot of time organizing it because especially volunteers are organizing the festival. So sometimes you have to be available for them, especially as a international director. You know, sometimes the, the timing is a bit hectic when Australia needs a call and then it's uh, Costa Rica that, you know, with all the time difference. 
I'm pretty happy I'm in Europe, actually, because then I'm in the middle. Also, we organize uh, some special events depending on the year. Sometimes we have partnerships as well, and we decide to, to organize some different things. Every country is a bit free to do whatever they want. As soon as we all do the main festival, so the Pint of Science Festival is there in May for three days. And then the rest of the year, we have few events. But when I say special events, for example, we might have one special event in Paris. It's going to be one time in one bar around 35 people. Whereas the festival, it's 15 events each night in Paris. You see, so the scale of the thing is completely different. And it's so big as well that we need lots of time to organize because we start usually organizing in September for the May festival. And then our volunteers are resting during the summer. And then we start again in, in September. Oh, so you mentioned there could be 15 things happening on the same night in the actual festival period. Yeah. So if they're happening at the same time, is it divided by different subjects? Yes, exactly. So first, it's on the website. We have the program. People take tickets, which help us as well to know which events are popular, which are less, so which one we should communicate about. And also, we have six themes. It's just to classify pubs and cafes because it's all the science. It goes from astrophysics to biology to human science and civilization and chemistry. It really covers all the science. So there is no science that is left behind. In smaller cities, it's going to be local scientists. For example, there is a city north of France that has a marine biology institute. So obviously those three nights are going to be on marine biology because it's what happens around. But we don't usually bring scientists from other cities, except if in your city you don't have research. We have very small villages where obviously there is no research. So we're bringing scientists from the closest cities around to talk about what's happening there. But yeah, usually they have the program on the websites and they can know exactly what night is going to be about what and the subject of everything and the researcher coming and talking. Okay, oh, that's good. Now, is there anything planned for mainland China or Hong Kong, do you know? Not yet, actually. And that would be amazing. Ah. So for 2022, it's too late because we're still in pandemic. So we decided to not have new countries. But from next September, I would be super happy if people want to do something there because it's been a while we're trying to expand there. But we need basically one or two directors that would be okay to take on the role and deal with the organization in the country. So if people are interested, they can always contact me from next September. Okay. And so the coordinators are usually PhD students? It could be anyone. It could be PhD students, it could be PIs. We also have non-scientist directors. It's just they love science and they want to organize it. It's just anyone. To be honest, the skill we need the most is the motivation. Because it can be stressful. It's a lot of work. So we need people to be motivated. And just that, that's the main skill. And the rest is up to us. We're really giving everyone the information they need to start doing it. So often people are asking me, oh, what skills are you selecting people on? Do we need to know everything about science? And I said, well, I'm neuroscientist. You know, I know brain a bit, but I don't know astrophysics and I'm still director. Mm -hmm. So... And it's okay as soon as you're motivated. And what types of researchers then take part and do their presentations? It's not just PhD students. It could also be an established researcher. So we're trying to have a bit of 
everything because for a while, almost 10 years ago, it was established researchers that would do science communication and not so much PhD students. Uh-huh. Now, actually, PhD students are really doing lots of science communication. So that's amazing and we love it. Often, the format that we usually advise to do is to have an introduction of the field by a PhD student and then maybe a dig a bit deeper by a professor. Uh-huh. But then we've seen lots of different formats. We've seen no PhD students, few PhD students all presenting their research. We've done that as well. We're really open to everyone. We're not looking for some specifics. People get to talk to Pint of Science in two different ways. Either they are contacted by the teams because the teams really fancy that subject and they're like, I want that scientist to talk about that subject. Or because we open some calls, so often we have forms saying, if you want to talk to Pint of Science and share your research, don't hesitate. And then we ask them to write a little paragraph, lay audience kind of science. So we look at that and then we decide, is it good? Is it going to be okay? And most of the time it is. So we take them on. And what tips can you give for researchers who do want to present and want to explain the work to the public, either content tips or performance tips? So content tips, I would say, always think about your audience. So that's the golden rule in science communication. It's not just the science level of your audience. It's going to be the culture they have, you know, use the right references. I'm French. I lived in the UK. If I try to translate a joke from French to English, it might be really, really bad and it might not work. And if it doesn't work, it's fine. Just bounce back and and continue. Mm. So I think in general, the most important thing to think is who is my public and what do they want from me? Do they want to just have fun and then I'm going to show them cool stuff? Do they want very much science? Are they scientists, so I need to give them a bit more scientific talk? Or are they the general public, like what age and everything? So that would be the first thing. Also, content-wise, try to really avoid jargon. And if you don't know if it's jargony or not, try to talk about your research to other people not doing science at all. So sometimes taking a step back. Talking about your research to someone that is completely outside of it to see if it's jargon or not, because jargon really blocks people. They are not going to listen to you because they heard these weird words and they don't know what it means. Performance-wise, probably, I would say, don't start, if you've never done science communication or if you're not used to it, don't start with a format that is going to stress you. Go for something you are comfortable with. If you love writing Go for some blog if you love talking and talking to public. Then go for live conferences. Uh, But I've seen some Mm -hmm. people that were putting themselves into a challenge, but it's a double challenge if you're not used to do science communication because you're not sure how to talk about your research, which is challenging, and then you do a format you might not enjoy. So at the end, you might just say, I don't like science communication. So start with something you're okay with, then learn how to talk about your research, and then you can challenge yourself to do something a bit more complicated for you, and then you will be okay. And you might enjoy it better that way. Because I've seen on Pint of Science people that are not feeling great talking in public, and you see that, but then the audience can really feel it. So it's a bad moment for you, and it's also a weird moment for them because they feel like you're so stressed they don't listen to you great. It's a bit weird for everyone. So that's that's what, what I would uh, I would advise. Mm. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, the audience can tell they don't they don't feel comfortable if they yeah. notice the stress, and it really affects everybody. Now, apart from live presenting, how about written format? In your work, do you train people to communicate in writing to the general public? So, like press releases, or maybe for special stakeholder groups like policy papers. So it's always, I think, I'm going to go back to the golden rule of、um, think about who you want to target and what message you want them to know, because I think the worst we can do when we're doing science communication as researchers is always do the same kind of way. So if it's written, if it's oral, if it's podcast, you know, whatever. If you think about who you want to reach and what you want them to remember, I think it's the first question to ask yourself, and then you build your blog or your writing around that. Like, what do I want them to know? How much science should I put in? What's my angle? Because obviously, it's not going to be the same angle.、Uh, the general public might want to know things in general, whereas policymakers they might want to know more specific things or how you can apply your research to whatever they do. Journalists, you're always scared they're going to take big headlines, so you need to be sure you're very simple and you put something forward that could be nice for them.、Mm-hmm. So yeah, even for writing, just、uh, think about your audience, think about the message you want people to remember, and then build the thing around. I think sometimes we don't think about that; we go straight into writing, and then it gives a piece that is nice, but it's not necessarily well targeted. Let's say.、Mm-hmm. These days, many researchers try to promote their own work in layperson's summaries or plain language summaries, and also for social media. So, do you have any tips for that? And if they do want to share work on social media, is there any rule that they have to wait for their journal paper to be published first? So yeah, one general rule is make sure you can talk about your research because if there is a patent pending, for example, sometimes you need to wait. If the paper is accepted, you can talk about it. Don't give too many details, but I would say to get scooped, you would need quite many details, and science communication doesn't always go that far with the details. So I think it comes to jargon. Always try to think about the words you're using. I'm very big on Twitter. Twitter is amazing for science communication and for scientists. So you can tweet it. Especially now, you have Altmetric. It's a website that basically you enter the DOI of a paper and it's showing you where it's been shared and not science-wise, more like Facebook, Twitter, news, blogs, and everything. So it can show you really where your paper travels, which is amazing. And it's It's shown with colored donuts, so it's a, a a little wheel that looks like a, a donut, and it's rainbow because every outlet has a different color. And to be honest, there is a lot of blue because Twitter is a very big place to share science communication pieces. So don't hesitate to do that. You need to explain it, I think. So be careful with that. You know, lots of people share their paper. They just put the link in Twitter. They have the title that is going to be in preview, and then they press share, which is okay. If you want scientists to find it or see it, but if you want people that are not scientists to actually understand it, you might need to explain it more. So that's the thing always that we are back to this rule: like, who do you want to talk to? Is it just scientists or the public in general? So if you want to talk to the public,、um, you can do in Twitter. You can do a thread, which is several 
tweets linked together, so you don't have just 280 characters to talk about it. And the first one, it's nice if it's the paper, the link of the paper. Never forget the link. I've seen that several times. And try to explain it in a, a lay audience and vocabulary, sorry. And it's always nice to try to put the science back into people's lives. So what does it mean for you in your life? What could it change for you? Yeah. That's always nice because sometimes we are so deep into science that we forget why we do that. What is it going to change for the society? And sometimes when it's very fundamental, it can be difficult to explain. But then mRNA research was fundamental 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, mm. it's always nice to say, I've done that piece of research. And what is it doing for you? Why is it interesting? And we forget. As scientists, we have the paper. We talk about those are my results. But I think in science communication, the most important is not necessarily the data. It's the why of the project. Mm. Why do I do that? Yeah, that's that's very useful. Thank you. And I have one final question, Elodie. Yes. Uh, what are your career plans and any tips for researchers who want to improve their skills or even thinking also about a career in research communication? So I would say the best is to try. So mm. science communication is so huge, you know, you have so many things you could do. And also, if you think about a career there, do you want to actually be doing the communication like taking science and then communicating about it or do you want to be more into strategy um, for example i say i'm a science communicator but i don't do science communication that much like taking science and explaining it i do it on twitter but the rest of the time i'm actually teaching scientists to do science communication so that's a different level i would say try there are so many initiatives that always are looking for volunteers or things you can do in general, try, see what fits you, what kind of thing you like to do. Because sometimes you're a bit lost and you don't know if you're more into writing or into podcast or whatever until you start and actually you fall in love with one of the formats. Actually, Twitter, I'm going to come back to that. Twitter can be nice for people to see what's happening around, going to science communication events as well. So obviously with COVID, it's a bit more complicated, but... Going around, meeting people, if you think about a career in science communication, meet the people. Could be on LinkedIn as well. Add them on LinkedIn. Ask them because lots of people think, oh, that title, that job sounds really cool. And then you talk to the person that actually works there and you realize the title and the work are two different things and I wouldn't enjoy the job. Not that it's not a good job, but it's something I wouldn't like. And then how about yourself? What are your career plans? <laughs> Yes, my career plans, I don't really know. And I think I enjoy not knowing. I'm a freelancer, so I work on lots of different projects. And to be honest, if 10 years ago, when I started Pint of Science, or nine years ago, when I started Pint of Science, you would have told me I would be science communicator, freelance, I would have never believed you. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something as well that is important is to be open to opportunities. And it's exactly what I do. So I started my own podcast and actually now I have lots of clients that are coming to me to ask to, to do some podcasts. And a year ago, it's the same. I would have been like, oh, yeah, me in podcast. No, it's not going to happen. And this year it's actually happening. So my career plan is to be open to opportunities. And 
I hope I will continue enjoying my work. So going for things that I love. This is my career plan. Mm. Picking projects that are enjoying, that are making people grow as well. This is why I left research, because I realized we were 10 researchers working more or less on the same project. And I had the feeling I had no impact whatsoever. I felt like I'm leaving tomorrow. It doesn't make a difference. But then if tomorrow I am the international director for Pint of Science, we went from 10 countries to 21 that year. So the impact is huge because I would help people set up the festival. I would help volunteers gaining new skills and I would help scientists doing science communication. And on top of that, I would also help the public in those countries to meet scientists. So for me, it was it was huge. So my career plans is basically enjoy my work and try to have impact. That's it. Yeah. And for people listening, what's the name of your podcast? Ah, what's the name of the podcast? So it's called Sous la Blouse. So it's a French podcast right now, but in 2022, it should have its little brother under the lab coat. And it's directly inspired from Pint of Science public. When they started asking very personal questions to the speakers, I realized the public wants to know how they became a scientist on that subject, what was their studies, all that kind of things. And this is my podcast. So I undress, this is why it's called Under the Lab Coat. I undress scientists. Oh, I see. So it's called Under the Lab Coat. Under the Lab Coat. Like they are removing the lab coat to actually show the human under the lab coat. Yeah, to show that civilian clothes exactly and also uh, because the lab coat is such a big cliche that usually i'm asking during each episode do you wear a lab coat at work and most of the time they're like nope so sous la blouse and under the lab coat they will arrive at one point in 2022 okay so but the french version is called sous la blouse yeah (laughs) okay so elodie great it's important work you're doing. We know for the past two years or so with the COVID information and misinformation and disinformation, that is really important that the science and the facts get relayed accurately to the public. So if listeners want to know more about Pint of Science, they can go to the website pintofscience.com. Mm-hmm. So Elodie, thank you very much for sharing the ins and outs of public speaking and communicating research and science to non-academic audiences. And thank you for the invitation. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Asia Edit at Our podcast. For more publishing advice, visit asiaedit.com. I'm Trevor Lane, and I hope you tune in next time for more expert publishing tips.